Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 31. <clears throat> Genesis 31. Genesis chapter 31. And I asked a couple friends with weed whackers if they wouldn't mind being outside during this sermon this morning. So, so we're going to be in Genesis 31, but go back to 28 because there's a promise I want to remind you of. Okay. Chapter 28, verse 15. Lloyd, do you mind doing me a favor and slamming those windows really hard? Thanks, buddy. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, And this is the gate of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Father, I ask that you would protect us from being distracted right now. Um, Never ceases to amaze me what takes place in this 40 minutes that has the potential of stealing away our attention to the Word. And so I ask of you, by your kindness and mercy, Father, you would enable us to be attentive regardless of of the stuff going on around us. I thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for the, the attention to God. The eye that looks to you, Lord, in this congregation, I, I am so deeply humbled to get to be a part of this church. And I pray, Father, that as we walk through this uh, brief passage this morning, you'd speak to our hearts afresh, and God, this local church would be growing and maturing in our Christ-likeness. We would be more like Jesus. Father, I I don't want to be more like Dan. I want to be more like you. And so I pray, Father, you would crucify that flesh, that old man, that creeping, sinful self. Kill him. And Father God, mold us, all of us, into a greater, clearer image of Jesus. Especially, dear God, when nobody's watching, for that's where we are, really, who we are. I ask this in your Son's name. Amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but the praise of this world is fleeting. Extremely short comes and goes in an instant. 
where you think, wow, everybody's singing my praises. Everybody's impressed. Everybody's encouraged. And then you say, from their opinion, the wrong thing, and immediately you are done. Some people call this cancel culture, and it's something that is talked about prevalent right now. But, beloved, here's the thing. Not new. In the least, not new. As long as you give the world what they want, as long as you provide those things that they're asking for or think they deserve, everything's cool. But as soon as you say, no, done. We're back in this storyline with Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Since day one, when he got there, Laban, Leah and Rachel's dad, has been buttering him up something fierce. All over him, happy that he's the new son-in-law. Cheated him. Has gotten many years of service out of him. Has, Has been so excited. Even when when Jacob was trying to express a desire that this isn't going to work, Laban was still smooth and tried to coax him into staying. And here's an idea. Do whatever you want. You name the price, Jacob, and you can stay. Jacob said, okay, then here's what I want to do. And they came through this whole agreement as far as, remember, the speckled sheep and the goats and all this whole game plan. And Laban said, done. Go for it. Get to work. And what you get is what you get, and this is going to work out great for me. This whole time, Laban has been extremely slippery in his dealings with Jacob, and yet consistently showing a tender-heartedness towards him and a love. After all, you're my son-in-law. But beloved, the reality is, As soon as he's crossed, or as soon as he doesn't get what he thinks he deserves, we're going to see a major shift in Laban and in Jacob and God's direction for Jacob. That's where we're at this morning. This is part one. I looked at doing chapter 31 in one sermon, but it'd be a really long sermon, so I'm not going to do that. Um, We're just going to cover the first 16 verses this morning in this time to go part one. But don't let that pass too quickly. I recognize it's just the introduction to this message, but don't let that uh, that principle go, go by you too quickly. Beloved, as the world beckons you to do what it says, as long as you do it, you are rejoiced over. As soon as you say, uh uh, it's over. Let me give you a really dumb story to stick it in your brain for the rest of your life. I was in driver's ed at Daymount Spokane High School in Spokane. And we had to take a, some sort of a test or something, I don't know. Um, but there was, there was an exam that we had to take. And then after you took your exam, you give your paper to somebody else. And they give you, their, you get somebody else's paper. Therefore, no cheating, honor system, blah, blah, blah. So it's all going to be passed around. And then the teacher's going to tell you what the score is, and you mark off what it is. Well, I pass mine over to somebody, and some other kid passes his to mine. And he looks at me and goes, I missed two. And I checked it, and I pass it back to him. I said, you missed four. (laughs) And he called me a term I'm not going to say out loud. It was interesting how quick I could have had a best buddy that day and how quick I made an enemy. 
because I crossed him. I didn't do what he told me to do. Dumb story, but beloved, let me just put that on the grand scheme. There you are, here you are in this world right now with the world saying, just act like us and say that you approve, heartily approve what we're doing, and then you get our applause. But if you don't, you're in deep weeds. And so here's Jacob, and here's Laban, with a very different relationship than what we've seen thus far. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard how, I don't know, and the text doesn't say how he heard. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, so these are the kids of Laban, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So as we, if you look, drop down at verse 43 of chapter 30, so just probably the, for my Bible, the page on my left, It says, thus, the man increased greatly, speaking of Jacob, and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. So we left off last time we were in Genesis with, here's Jacob, who is a very prosperous guy. He's made out well. All this wealth is coming to him. And we're going to find out why in just a bit. But just let that sink in. So here's Laban, and here's his kids, all right? All they see is... There's no way there's something special going on here. What's happening is Jacob's a liar and a cheat. And it makes sense that the sons would take offense for dad, does it not? Because that's our inheritance that Jacob just got. So they take an offense for their father. Now, is Laban in on this? I have no doubt in my mind this is a discussion around dinner tables. But it doesn't say Laban said anything to Jacob. He doesn't verbalize anything. Why? Because Jacob's following the rules as far as he's concerned. But the sons take an offense for dad and do his bidding. But nonetheless, it's very clear to Jacob, Laban's mood, the way he treats me, has become very, very different. So relationship is getting tense. Why? Because it didn't pan out the way Laban had designed. The design Laban had was... You don't get much, I get a lot, but you can stay and work for me for the rest of your life. There's a beautiful plan. So you're locked in, and I'm gonna work, I'm gonna, this is going to pan out great. Well, unbeknownst to Laban, there was this other person named God who was in the middle of all this, who was blessing, tremendously blessing Jacob and his family and taking away from Laban all of his wealth. And so Jacob is recognizing the change in the mood of his father-in-law. Laban's sneaky plan has totally failed. Jacob was doing extremely well, chapter 30, verse 27. You can go back and look at that. Laban's treatment of Jacob has changed. God Almighty is commanding Jacob now to depart. Now, there's, there's an interesting thing here, you guys, in reference to the will of God. I mean, obviously and often we hear people say, 
I want to know what is God's will for my life. Sometimes it's big, or you say, I want to know what it's God's will for this job. I want to know what God's will for this, for that. In this passage, he's not wondering. Now, the circumstances are directing towards a particular thing, but then he gets direct revelation from the Lord. So, the mood of Laban is bad. They're starting to trash my name. I've got tons of money, and I've got my big family, so God has been richly blessing me. I think it's time to go back. Well, if you're going to go back, then he also has the word of the Lord come and say, return to your homeland. The clarity of God is wonderful. Now, let me take a side note here. You guys, I recognize that there are times in our lives where we can't necessarily go to a quick Bible verse or to a portion of Scripture that gives us great clarity on God's will in a particular situation. We do our best to seek out the Lord, pray, petition the Lord, and we let the Word of God guide us to the best of our understanding of it and to the wise counsel in our life. But sometimes, I would say probably more often than not, God in his love for us gives clarity from his word. Okay, that's what God wants of me. This is what the Lord wants me to do. This is is his plan for me. Well, not necessarily in the written word, but in actual, I believe, verbal audio form, God came to Jacob and said, take your whole family and go. And the key theme that I want to draw your attention to in this whole passage this morning, you'll hear this over and over and over, is we are seeing the maturing process in Jacob. The Jacob who swindled his dad, the Jacob who swindled his brother, the Jacob who has been a bit of a sneaky, slimy type, has been growing in grace. The school of hard knocks is actually the principle of the school of hard knocks is the one that loves him more than he understands. God is actually perfectly involved in all the details of his life, and he's teaching him. He's maturing him. How do I know that? Because the response of this Jacob is very different than the response of the old Jacob. Jacob's reaction to God and the reaction to God's word is a different reaction. God's growing him. This is what's so beautiful about exposition, about preaching through books of the Bible, especially in narrative, is you can go back and look at this person at the beginning and walk with them. I saw this, and Lord willing, you did too, when we were earlier in Genesis, and we were watching Abraham, and we saw Abram, Abram, come away from your people and go to a land I'll show you. I'll make your name great. I'll make a great nation come out of you. And Abraham says, okay. Then we see him screw up a bunch, but we also see God so finely tuned this guy that that Abraham eventually becomes this massive leader for God's glory, and we see a people come from him, promises God made directly to him, But the cool part is, that's no different than it is for you and for me. The direct application from the ink to our life is that God is at work in you. God started with you at conversion. You didn't didn't at conversion go, finally, I'm perfect. About time. Life is easy. No, I love R.C. Sproul years ago said, he didn't have any problems till he got saved. (laughs) That's where things got complicated and tricky because my conscience functions. 
because I'm following a word that goes against my flesh. And so God in his grace has been moving with Jacob, and now Jacob has been there long enough. And here's what I want you to notice, beloved. Jacob has not been in this part of his life because of Laban. Jacob has not been in this part of his life because of Jacob or because of Leah or Rachel. Jacob has been in this avenue of his life under Laban's weirdness because of God. The Lord's pressed him there and said, no, you're staying. But it's uncomfortable. Okay, I'm sorry. You're staying. I'm being cheated. You're staying. God, this is unfair. You are going to stay. But as you stay in the difficulty, I am with you. I will bless you. And he has, has he not? Week in, week out, as I've been bringing this book to this pulpit, talking from this this book of Genesis, we've seen over and over and over, God's with him, God blesses him, God consistently carries him. And yet, this point in his life, God has kept him. And now the Lord, by his grace and with great clarity, says, go ahead, you're free. And Jacob's response, yes, sir, but what about Laban? Now, this is what's so interesting about our life, is it not? God gives us clarity, we go, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. And then somebody goes, what are you going to do about, and then they give you 14 different names or 14 different relationships or situations or whatever. You go, I know what the word says. I know how clear it is. I know what God wants me to do. But the collateral is going to be something crazy. Answer, tough. Because the sovereign one of the universe has said, I'm with you in it. And beloved, here's the thing. I say tough not as a means of being harsh, but actually tough as a means of love because what that does is the sovereign king comes and he does a work in you in that time that would never be done in any other way. I've talked to too many Christians and I've seen too much in Scripture where the difficulties of life is where God does his finest tuning. And so Jacob now has clarity but there are some details he's got to work through. This promise enables Jacob to go. If you notice, it says, Return to the land. Uh, This is the second piece of verse 3. Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, that doesn't just mean I'll be there, but you won't really know it. There's promises attached to that, okay? So it's like a, like a, a, a backpack, okay? There's a bag, and he hands him the bag, and the bag says, bag promises, and he puts that on. You go, what promises? When God says, I will be with you, what's in the bag? So you undo the zipper. Here's what falls out of that bag. I will be with you in power. Not yours, but mine. I will be with you in companionship. Jacob, when you feel like you're utterly alone, I am present. I will be with you in protection. I protected you, have I not? And I will continue to protect you. I will be with you in guidance. I will guide you as I have been and as I will do. And in all that comes about, I will be present in power, companionship, protection, and in guidance. 
So it's not just, I'll be with you so that way you have a buddy. There's, there's so much more there. It's kind of like when you're playing basketball and somebody goes, hey, I'll be on your team. And they're five foot one and not very fast and all these other things. And you go, well, I don't really want you on my team. As opposed to a six foot four guy that's just athletic as anything. He's like, hey, I'm going with you. That would be just a tremendous thing. Well, think about this. This is almighty sovereign God saying, I'm with you. And all that I am and all that I have, I'm bringing with me. So saddle up. Because the God of the universe has your back. If God is for us, who can be against us? Jacob's power is in his God, not God and luck. But the tough part, the, the very tricky part, no doubt for Jacob, but also for Dan Mason, is to remember that in, in spite of daunting circumstances. Let me give you a for instance. Do you remember when, I'm sure you do, when the Apostle Paul, he gets blinded, right? And he's, he's blinded, the Lord speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you remember the guy's name who he sends to Saul? So he sends Ananias. Do you remember what Ananias says to God when God tells him to go? (laughs) Now, God, I know you know all things. But are you sure you know about Saul? Is it because he doesn't trust the Lord? No, he does. And it, it proves out that he absolutely does. But sometimes those circumstances are just crippling. I know what the Word says. I know what God has called me to do and be. But I don't know how on earth he's going to make this work. And that's where his precious word and precious experience in the Christian life rushes to our rescue. Look at verse 4. Because, like all good smart husbands, he's going to check with his wife. So look at verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. So really what happens here, the the background or the setting, the border of what's happening is he's consulting with Leah and Rachel, seeking to grant their not grant, but to get an understanding of their perspective that they are with him in this and they want to support him in this and they want to go as well. He doesn't want to put them through a horrible thing, choosing between their father and he, but he believes it's super clear, this is what God's called me to do, and so he approaches Leah and Rachel. Notice in a secluded place, so that way this doesn't get back to Laban, things are already bad enough. And so out in the field where he's tending the sheep, these two women come out and they're going to have a brief family meeting. And so Jacob explains to them, this is what I love about this chunk, verses 4 to 13, is that he tells them what's happened, but there is a flavor to what he does here, okay? Please don't miss this. There is a flavor to what he does here. This is not merely a trashing of dad conversation. What this is, is a glorifying of God conversation. Guys, you have to When you're studying the Word, you have to see the details as best you can, 
but also some of the flavor of those details and say, what's behind this? Because the nature in which Jacob is speaking here is not necessarily sour grapes, but glory in God, which says a lot about what's happening in the heart of Jacob. Jacob's perspective has shifted. Jacob's perspective has changed. Jacob's perspective is that he is now seeing God in the, in, in the small details of his life. So every now and again, I'll sit down and I'll counsel with somebody or somebody will counsel with me or whatever. And as you're talking with that person, one thing that consistently strikes me is when I see somebody look for the Lord in the details. I'm usually thrown off a bit when somebody goes, man, I got lucky. No, you didn't. That's not true. Or if somebody goes, I'm glad it panned out that way. I guess fate dealt me a good hand. No, it didn't. You're stealing the Lord's glory and giving it to something that doesn't exist. This is why the word luck or lucky doesn't make any sense and the word blessed should consistently be put in its place because there's a divine sovereign behind it, not pure chance. That's my belief. I believe that with all my heart. And what's so neat about this passage is Jacob obviously is there as well. Listen to what he tells his wives. He says, I see that your father does not regard me with the favor as he did before. Now, listen to who he is, is butting him up against. It's, this is not Jacob versus Laban. This is Laban versus God. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength. Yet your father's cheated me and changed my wages ten times. Don't get too caught up in that. Most Commentators I was reading was saying, not a literal ten times perhaps, but it's just saying over and over and over again. It's kind of like saying completion, or you wouldn't believe how many times he's done this. Is it a literal ten times? It's possible. But the better idea, I think, is that what he's getting at is, for emphasis' sake, I can't count the number of times your dad's cheated me. But God did not permit him to harm me. Please don't move too quickly past that. Do you hear what he just said? Now, think of all the theological connotations that go along with that statement. God did not permit him to harm me. How many variables in life for Laban and for Jacob and for his family, and for all the people that work for Laban, all the people that work for Jacob, the breeding of all these animals, how many variables are super, is God superintending upon to disable Laban's desire to harm him? How many details is God in charge of in this statement made by Jacob right here? For him to say, But God did not permit him to harm me. Year after year after year, month after month, day after day, hour after hour, second after second, Laban was not permitted to harm me. God said no, and Laban didn't do it. There's a supernatural aspect, beloved, that at times we become just practical atheists and we miss it that there's a sovereign king who is supernaturally in charge of all things. 
And do we wrestle with that? Sure. All of us have the yeah, but questions. All of us struggle with that to some degree. But there's the text. You cannot make a statement like that without believing there's a sovereign God in charge of all details. I wonder how it struck the, uh, the, the, the minds of his wives. All they've seen is, man, Jacob's making bank. But see, what's so beautiful about this is Jacob says, it's all him. And he just, he's going to continually do it throughout this chunk of, of, of Scripture. It's all him. It's never me. It's not even Laban. It's not the goats. It's, it's not you. He did it. <clears throat> but God did not permit him to harm me. Now he gives a for instance. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Now just carefully contemplate. Remember what he's doing. He's seeking to lay the facts in front of these women to say, listen, this is how I see this. This seems to be the clearest explanation of what's going on. And I've had an actual revelatory message from the living God. So let's listen to this list. I've faithfully served your father with all my strength. Your father has cheated me over and over and over again. He's consistently changed my wages. The sovereign of the universe did not permit Laban to succeed in doing me harm. God took away all of Laban's riches and has given them to me. And God has revealed the truth to me in a dream that I should go. Please notice this, beloved. The real battle being described here is between Laban and the Lord, not Laban and Jacob. Jacob is showing that God Almighty is the source of all his fortune. God has been with me. Now, that's a very interesting statement that Jacob says, God has been with me. Now, if you asked him, is he with you? He'd say, yes, he is with me. But what he says here is, God has been with me. Hindsight is spiritual twenty twenty. Often in the moment, we say, man, what is, what is going on in my life? This isn't how it panned out, or this isn't how I planned for it to pan out. This wasn't what I expected my life to be at this age, or this isn't how I thought my kids would turn out. This isn't how I thought this would all come to fruition. And what I am learning to see from the Scripture and from you and from believers in my life who are much older than me or older than me, wait. What's so fascinating is that over time, you look behind yourself and you go, 
I never, I never in a million years would have guessed the Lord would have used that for his good purpose and for my good eventually. Not in a million years. God plays on a long game spectrum that we can't even fathom. And so please note that the real battle here is Laban and the Lord, not Laban and Jacob. Jacob is getting far more comfortable with the time frame of God. A buddy of mine told me years ago that when you make the Lord your comfort zone, you never leave your comfort zone. He's with you in it all. And Jacob shows incredible recognition of Almighty God in his life. There's two perspectives here, beloved, okay? So don't miss this. This is a thought that came to my mind this week. Have you ever been there where you're talking to somebody, an unsaved friend, okay? This happened to me this week. You're talking with somebody who doesn't know the Lord, and as you're visiting with them, you share something with them. Now, if I was talking to one of you, a brother or a sister in the Lord, and I said, what do you think about that? Your answer would be, man, God is so good, so gracious, so kind. This friend is quick to say, you lucked out. You got dealt a good hand on that one. Or some euphemism that's thrown out there. And I was thinking about this this week, you guys, that so quickly this world does its darndest to explain away the presence of God. To the point that the primary teaching in our scientific world is that nothing exploded. And here you are. What, what, what on earth, what kind of planet are you from, no pun intended, to, to, to come up with something like that? Answer? Hatred for God. That's the root. And they'll cut off their nose to spite their face in order to just say no to God, and so They'll go to incredible lengths to explain away the divine, to say he's not there. And we do this on small levels, and we do this on massive levels, where we try to explain away the living God and him being there in the details. So, beloved, here's my challenge to you. Plead with the Lord to give you great clarity in your speech and the way you live your life. Don't explain him away wholeheartedly say, God is at work. The Lord did that. And if it offends somebody, then, you know, maybe the conversation will get a little richer after that. But the Lord did that. Drop his name, name drop all over the place. Actually, I think, you know, from my perspective, talking to an unsaved friend, from my perspective, I think there's a sovereign God who's in charge of all details, and he's the one who superimposed all of that. And then just see how lunch goes the rest of the time with him. Who knows, beloved? I wonder if sometimes we lull the unsaved in their slumber because we're scared to talk about our God. So they're nice and comfy with us because we don't bring it up and we make them feel at ease. So they go to hell quietly. Not Jacob. Nope, over and over and over, before his family, he says, God did this. The Lord did this. Laban couldn't touch me. Not because of me, but because of the sovereign of the universe was consistently protecting me. He's growing in maturity. Jacob has clearly made his case before these two women, and now the choice falls on them and how they're going to respond. Now, how do you think they'll respond? 
<laughs> Let's look. Verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has to say to you, do. We see a family consensus here. Um, By the way, one of the only times marked in our Bibles where Leah and Rachel agree. (laughs) But this consensus is definitely clearly um, arrived at with Jacob and these two women that, yes, indeed, our father has tried, he sold us out. He treats us as, as foreigners or as strangers, as if we're not even his daughters. He's cheated you. And I think you could argue from the text pretty clearly there is a love for Jacob from both women, a love and a respect for this man. And from what I've seen in this passage this morning, to some extent earned in the way he wants to work his tail off and follow the Lord. And now he's asking them, are you coming with me? Are you going with me? And their answer is simple, yep. And what I find fascinating is that a lot of what they talk about is money. But that's revelatory of their father's uh, demeanor, of their father's character, I think. It's not so much that they're gold diggers, that they're trying to just get the money from Jacob now. No, the truth actually, I think, is this reveals much about Laban. And there's a principle, let me just hit it real quick on the head, What you do with your money reveals much about you and me. I'm right there with you. What you do with your money reveals much about you. And so I don't think these two women are saying, well, we're going to go with you because the money's going with you. I think what they're saying is the way Laban has treated all of these assets and the way they've treated you, Jacob, and the way they've treated us, we want nothing to do with him. We're going back with you. But then there's that last little bit, and this is the phrase that has just been ringing my bell all week. Whatever God says, do. I don't know about your Bible. There's nothing in between. Whatever God says, think about it and see if it makes sense to you. See if it slips and fits in the culture. See if it, if it, if it can get you farther in the blessings of this life. None of that. I love the determination. Whatever God says to you, I'm becoming a far less fan of Nike, but just do it is a beautiful statement for the believer. God has made it crystal clear. Then you do. Beloved, that's a, that's a, a phrase, that's a, a mindset, a theme. It's been very heavy in my mind and heart in studying this text. The last statement, the last statement made should be the ever-present word in our lives. Whatever God has to say to you, do. And so let me wrap up with just a couple points of application. And I'm going to ask you to gauge a couple things in, in you, okay? I'm not doing it in you, I'm doing it in me, but I encourage you to gauge a couple things. 
I don't mean this moment because we're all in church and we're all doing the right thing right now, so it's not as easy. I'm saying all week, Gage, think about this, okay? Gage your hesitancy to seeing God in the details. Gauge your hesitancy to seeing God in the details. Do not rob him of the glory due his name. And let Jacob be a bit of an example to you this morning. So when I say don't hesitate or gauge your hesitancy to see him in the details, there's something very funny about our brain where something will happen and we will quickly try to explain it apart from God. Now, by God's grace, he's rebuilding that in us. He's fine-tuning us. But the way we work is we look at this world and we see something happen. We go, oh, that happened because of this. But all you have to do is ask a second question. Yeah, but why did that happen? And who put that there? And eventually it's going to lead you to him. This is what the scripture means when it says that the world, the earth, that which is made, reveals his character to us. And so I want you to gauge your hesitancy to give God his glory in that which happens around you. Because I think, and what do I know, but just hear me out, I think far too often we function in this world as, we, as if we were not Christians. As if we were not believers in a sovereign God in charge of all things. And so you take Dan Mason and you take an unsaved friend and they live out a week and yet at the end you go, what's the difference between the two? And if we were to look at those two, is there plenty of evidence to show that Dan really believes there's a sovereign king over all things? Or does he just look like a practical atheist who's religious? Number two, gauge your hesitancy to obey God's word when you know what you're called to do. Gauge your hesitancy. Have you ever said this? I know what the Bible says, but. Nope. Nope. I know what the Bible says. Remember, let the the word of these two women ring ring in your ears. This is God's word. What God has said to you, do. But I'm asking you, beloved, to gauge your hesitancy to obey what you know from the Word. That you go, well, I'm not sure how that works, and and maybe, you know, maybe maybe there's something more here. Maybe that's not exactly, I need to look at another translation. (laughs) Stop, stop. What you know the Lord has said in His Word, do. And my desire, my prayer for myself, for my kids, for my wife, and for PCBC, is that you become a stubborn biblicist. The word stubborn is usually, we use it in a bad connotation. I mean it in the best connotation I can this morning, that you are unflinching in what you see to be the truth of God's Word. Regardless if people tear you down, and they may. You see it in the Word, You understand it, what it says, to the best of your ability. Is there a possibility you're misinterpreting and you could be wrong? Sure, but as best you can, you understand that's what it says, and you walk and follow it. 
and you let the chips fall, and you let relationships suffer, and you walk in obedience. Because if the sovereign God who told Jacob, I will be with you, has also said to you, I will be with you, he's coming to you with power, with protection, with companionship, with a glorious plan. And then he says, and this is what I'm calling you to do, beloved, we're without excuse to walk in obedience to his word. And so what God says for you to do, do. We'll pick up. Uh, in this story next Sunday. Let's, let's pray.